Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. To describe the struggles we have in life, there is a tongue-in-cheek story that is not meant to be serious about the mule, the donkey, and the man. You see, in this story, God created the mule and told him, you are a mule, you will work constantly from dusk to dawn. Carrying heavy loads on your back, you'll eat grass, you're not going to be that smart, you're going to lack intelligence, and you will live for 50 years. Well, the mule answered and said to live like this for 50 years, that's just too much. Please give me no more than 30. So God granted his request. Then God created the dog and told him, you're a dog. You will hold watch over the dwellings of man and you will be his greatest companion, but you will eat table scraps and live for 25 years. And the dog responded to this and said, Lord, to live like this for 25 years as a dog, that's just too much. Please give me no more than 10 years. And God granted his request. Then God created the monkey and told him, you're a monkey and you shall swing from tree to tree acting like a clown. You'll be funny and you shall live for 30 years. And the monkey responded and said, Lord, to live for 30 years as the clown of the world is a little too much. Please, Lord, give me no more than 10 years. And God granted his request. And finally, God created man and told him, you are man. You are the only rational being that walks on the earth. And you will use your intelligence to have mastery over the creatures of the world. You will dominate the earth and live for 20 years. Well, the man responded, Lord, to be a man for only 20 years is too little. So please, Lord, give me the 20 years that the mule refused, the 15 years that the dog refused, and the 20 years that the monkey rejected. And so God made man to live 20 years as a man, then marry and live 20 years like a mule, working and carrying heavy loads on his back. And then he's to have children and live 15 years as a dog, guarding his house and eating leftovers after the kids empty the pantry. And then in his old age, he's lived 20 years as a monkey, acting like a clown to amuse his grandchildren. And God granted his request. Life is interesting sometimes, isn't it? Life is difficult, and sometimes it may feel like this. Peace is often hard to come by in life. And life has changed very, very fast over the last 150 years. You know, in the early 1900s, the major causes of death were from infectious diseases. But now, six of the major causes of death can be directly impacted by our stress. Things like heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and suicide. Some think that historians will call our time right now the age of anxiety. 
But this is to be expected because anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and his will for us. See, I think deep down inside as Christians, we know this to be true. Even Amazon.com knows this. If you read any books on Amazon Kindle, you may know that they track what you highlight. And they released a list of the most popular passages that were highlighted in some of their best-selling books. Books like Pride and Prejudice, The Hunger Games. And also released was the most highlighted passage in the Bible. Now, I expected it to be John 3.16 or Psalm 23 or even the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, but it was none of these things. Do you know what it was? It was Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you have God's peace in your life, Christian? You see, Paul is about to show us how God's peace can transform how we live, even when the stress hits, even when we work, when we retire, or just about starve to death because we have teenagers in the home. No matter what you're facing in life, God's peace can be yours. You know, God offers us a stillness of the heart that is found in him, a calming of the soul, no matter the trouble that we have in the real world. But a lot of Christians walk through life and they have not found it because they look to everything but God and his word. Would you join me in Philippians 4? We touched on verse 1 last week. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Notice the love of Christ that's just flowing through Paul. He says, my beloved. He refers to them as beloved two times in one verse. And he says, my longed-for brethren. See, Paul could honestly say that the love of Christ compelled him so much that it, it pointed to his longing to be with his brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you allow Christ to take you there in your own life. My joy and crown, crown meaning here that their presence with Jesus Christ at his return would be his future crown when Christ comes to reward his people. In the context of everything Paul said in chapter 3, he's saying, don't stand on your past achievements. Don't focus on what you have done, your accomplishments. Instead, he's saying, focus on the Lord and stand firm in him. Here's what happens. We try to stand on what we've done in the past, and there becomes a lot of pressure to keep up the momentum of what we've done in the past, to outdo yourself each time, to outdo the other people in our lives. But when you stand in the Lord, it frees you up. It liberates you to be who God made you to be to follow his calling in your life, no matter what anyone else is doing or no matter what anyone else is saying. If you want to find real peace, Paul says, first, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You have to remain grounded in Jesus Christ. Now, this reminder is here because it is the nature of man to run from God. That is the very nature of man, even for believers. We like to run from God, to try to handle all our problems on our own. 
Peace comes when you depend on him, when you stand firm in him, not yourself. Now it's subtle, but this word stand makes all the difference in the world. You see, if we were on the offense, Paul would tell us to take the ground, wouldn't he? He'd say, take the ground, go on the offense, do battle. But in a defensive position, the ground has already been taken. Now all we have to do is stand. And that is the difference between the warfare waged by Christ and the warfare waged by us. Christ went on the offense for us. He waged war against Satan for us to be able to gain the victory. Through the cross, he carried the war to the very threshold of hell itself. He won the battle. So today, all we have to do is stand in him. Because the ground that Jesus Christ won, he has given to us. We don't need to fight to obtain it. We only need to stand on the ground of Christ that he's already won. We need to take up the mind of Christ, his thinking in how we live. And so let me say it like this. We stand firm in Christ by following his commands, taking up his priorities, loving his people, following his example. Then look at the next two verses. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I think this is here to remind us that anyone can love the ideal church. But the challenge is always to love the real church. If anyone had a reason to worry in life, it would have been Paul. Because the Christians at Philippi were not in agreement. And he couldn't be there to help. He's still chained to Roman soldiers, still waiting to go on trial before a madman. And we have no idea what these two ladies in the church were fighting about, but it was bringing a division. It was causing problems. We know it needed to stop. It couldn't have been a major doctrinal issue like the resurrection or the deity of Christ because Paul would have settled a matter like this. This was something that was not even worth mentioning by Paul. These two women had made a pit out of a pothole. And Paul called them out by name because when people let their pride get in the way of the work of Jesus Christ, they are to be corrected. This is not popular in the Western church today, but scripture says it must be true. In private, if possible, in public, if we have to. Chapter 1 already told us that Paul was facing division in the body of Christ in Rome. He certainly didn't need it at Philippi. Paul was facing the possibility of his own death, and he took the time to explain to us how we can overcome worry. And Paul tells these two ladies to be of the same mind, to think the same, to have the same goal, because their disagreements were starting to cause some problems in the church. And when people do this kind of stuff, it hurts the work of Christ. It hurts the unity of the church. It weakens our testimony for Jesus. It dishonors the name of our Lord. The story is told of two brothers who grew up out on a farm. One went away to college and he earned a law degree and became a partner in a big law firm at the state capitol. The older brother stayed on the family farm. 
One day the lawyer came and visited his brother on the farm and he asked, he said, why don't you go out and make a name for yourself in the world and hold your head up high in the world just like me? Then the farmer just looked at the field and pointed and said, you see that field right there, that field of wheat? Well, look closely. And he pointed it out and he said, only the empty heads stand up. Those that are well filled always bow low. Or to say it differently, the branch that bears the most fruit is bent the lowest to the ground. That's what it means here to be of the same mind, to have the humility of Jesus Christ. You see, when we decide as Christians that the work of Christ is more important than our own pride or our own ego, the peace of God, the joy that can only come from God, is the fruit that is seen. We should be of a single mind, the mind of Christ. Because remember what we're here for. Remember why we get up early on Sundays and come to church. We're here to share his story. We're here to tell of his glory. We're here to make disciples of him. That's why we're here, more of Christ, less of us. People get focused on traditions in the church. People get focused more on themselves than on Jesus Christ. Our focus should be on his honor, his glory. That is why we're here. Now, I find it interesting, Paul didn't take sides between these two ladies in the church fighting. He didn't take any sides on that one. He tells these ladies, just get their eyes on Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, he asks the help of a third party. We don't know if the Greek word for companion is the person's name or if it's a description. But Paul knew who this person was. And he wanted them to bring these women together, to get them together, because they'd worked together for Jesus Christ with Paul in the past, and they should be able to come together and do it again. Paul says they'd worked with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. Names not written down for us. Names we don't know, but their service to Christ is not forgotten. Their names are recorded, Paul says, in the book of life. See, Paul's still teaching. He's teaching that we are citizens of heaven. Because almost every city of that day kept a roll, a registry, if you will, of all of its citizens. And the registry in heaven is of those who are saved, those who are permanently inscribed in this record of the saints in heaven. You know, Jesus said to the 70 in Luke 10, he said some beautiful words. Look at what he wrote. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here comes the heart of our text, starting in verse 4, back in Philippians. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all man. The Lord is at hand. Let's be very, very clear what Paul is teaching at this point. Nowhere does he tell us that we always have to be happy. He's not telling you to be happy because sometimes it's just impossible. And Paul is not saying that we can never be sad in life because there is a time to be sad. But Paul did tell us to rejoice. In fact, he says it twice in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Christ. You see, this is all about understanding the sacrifice of Christ. This is understanding the new life that we have been given in him and recognizing that our life is about getting to know the Savior, serving him, living for him. Our relationship with Christ is what governs our joy. It is putting him first in all things, resting in Christ with our minds fixed on eternity. Joy should flow from a grateful heart. 
Now, this is not about being happy because things are going our way in life. This is saying no matter what storm hits you in life, you can always take joy. You can always rejoice in the Lord because why? We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ living in us. Our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outer circumstances. Paul knew that no matter what would happen to him, Christ would be right there with him every step of the way. Keep on rejoicing, Paul says at all times, is how the Greek reads here. Keep on rejoicing. There can be and should be an inner joy that comes from walking with Jesus Christ. Believers should be gentle. It means that we don't have to retaliate. We don't have to have the last word because the Lord is at hand, telling us that the Lord could take us out of here at any moment in time. You see, every one of us is only one heartbeat away from being with Jesus Christ. That ought to change how you live. Paul looked forward to being with Christ. You see, when your mind is centered on Christ, when your mind is centered on the Lord's return, his joy, his gentleness becomes the passion of our heart. Now, the idea of gentleness is being willing to give up, yield your rights, give up your rights so that you can be gentle to others. And Paul is not saying compromise on doctrine. But the little things he's saying, don't fight, be selfless, extend a hand of grace to brothers and sisters in Christ and let others be able to have a bad day. We all have them. Give others some grace. Paul says, live this out to all men. This is hard with some people. This is very hard with some people. But if you focus on Christ coming back for us, it makes it easier to get along with the difficult people. Because at any moment, Christ could step into this world to take us to be with him forever. This should give us hope. This should give us peace. And we don't have to worry. We can take everything to God in prayer. Look at verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Maybe you heard about the 95-year-old lady living in a nursing home. And one of the members of our church stopped in for a visit. How are you feeling? The visitor asked. And the old lady responded, I'm just worried sick. And her friend was kind of surprised by this. I mean, what does a 95-year-old lady have to worry about? Her friend was just taken back. And so she asked her, she said, if there's something wrong, if maybe the nursing home wasn't taking good care of her. No, that wasn't the issue. Are you in any pain, her friend asked. No, I'm not in any pain at all. That's not a problem. Well, then what are you worried about, her friend asked again. And the lady leaned back in her rocking chair and she sighed a heavy sigh and then she slowly explained why she was worried. She said this, every close friend I've ever had has already died and gone to heaven and I am afraid that they're all wondering where I went. Stop and look back at your own life for a second and think about some of the things you've worried about. It's pretty amazing the foolish things that we get all caught up about, that we worry about, that we stress about. You cannot have the peace of God and worry at the same time. They don't coexist at the same time. If you want the peace of God in your life, you need to stop with the worry, Paul is saying. Stop being distracted with what others may think. 
Stop being distracted by what may or may not happen in your life. The word for anxious is a very interesting word here in the Greek. It means to be drawn in different directions or to distract. To worry is literally to have a divided mind. It is to be pulled in two different directions at the same time between good thoughts and destructive thoughts. No wonder James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Paul used this same word for anxious that Jesus had used in Luke 10 when he told Martha that she was worried and troubled about many things. And our Lord also used this word in talking with his disciples in Matthew 6 when he told them they were not to worry about food, drink, clothing, or shelter. You see, to be worried is to have these distracting thoughts or concerns. And when worry takes over, when we start stressing out in our lives, it chokes out the word of God. It causes us to abandon our trust in the Lord. Paul is telling us to come to the throne of grace with the right attitude. He says in verse 6, take everything, everything to the Lord in prayer. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. If you get angry, pray. If you get scared, lift it up to the Lord. If you can't make it through the day without being worried about your loved ones or being worried about what, what's ahead of you, spend that time in prayer. The peace of God does not depend on the outcome. Our trust is not in an outcome. Our trust is in God. Peace does not come from thinking that you can somehow magically just twist God's arm enough to get what you think you want from God. It's trust in God himself. You see, Paul says in verse 6 with thanksgiving, be thankful that God is God and he's going to take care of the future, no matter how he may answer, because without this, you're never going to learn to have God's peace. Paul is saying, stop worrying and start praying. And when you pray and you give it to God, leave it there. Leave the matter with God. Leave your requests with him. Let them be made known to God and then leave those prayer requests with him. And verse 7 tells us the result. See, Paul is talking about the believer here, someone already at peace with God through justification by faith in Christ, but not living in that peace. And if we take our worry and put it into the hands of God in prayer, Paul says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. His peace will guard our emotions and our thoughts. It is a peace that no man, no counselor or psychologist can give. This is the peace that can only come from God. It is the right and privilege of every child of God to have this peace, but we must walk by faith. Look at it this way. If we give the matter to God and we leave it there, this is faith. This is trusting our Savior. Then his peace protects our hearts and our minds, and it keeps us able to focus on God's truth. His peace is beyond even what we can understand and comprehend. And when we take our concerns to his throne of grace, we walk with the Savior side by side in his peace. But anytime you sneak along, Jesus, when you're walking along and you try to take your problems back, you're not walking anymore side by side with him because you're trying to steal and wrestle your problems back from him. You're trying to take control of it. When we worry, what is it? It really is to distrust our Lord. 
It is to say to God, I don't think you care, or I don't think you can handle, I don't think you're big enough to handle my situation. It makes you feel helpless. It makes you feel like you have no hope. Think of the words of the old hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Peace comes to the believer in Christ knowing that God is absolutely in control. Paul said, let God's peace guard your hearts and mind. Guard is a military term. It means to surround and protect a city. Philippi was a military town with Roman soldiers watching the city, guarding it from the outside attack. And Paul is saying, God's peace is like soldiers surrounding our hearts and our minds, keeping them secure from outside forces. So hear me carefully. Paul is not saying you won't have trials. Oh, you're going to have problems in life. Paul is not saying you won't have problems. But if you take these things to God in prayer, you're guarded by his peace. You can have his joy and you can have his peace in your life. Living with a quiet confidence in God within. You see, if you live with this peace, the outside world cannot shake you. It cannot take your peace or joy if you don't let it. And then Paul tells us in verse 8 and 9, it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the what? The God of peace will be with you. A number of years ago, the news media picked up the story of a woman known as Garbage Mary. Now, Mary lived in a smelly and tiny Chicago apartment with mounds of garbage just piled up in her little apartment because Mary spent her time rummaging through the trash cans in Chicago. She would bum cigarettes off of her neighbors. Well, police eventually took her to the hospital after she was stopped for questioning and found to be in a very confused state of mind. And when they went into her filthy, disgusting apartment, they were amazed by what they found. They found stock certificates and they found bank records, which told them that she was worth at least millions of dollars. She was the daughter of a very wealthy, wealthy lawyer. Pathetic story, isn't it? It's a pathetic story, but it pictures the lives of many Christians who could be centering their thoughts on the things which are pure, the things which are true, the good things, the praiseworthy things, but instead they surround themselves all the time with moral filth. Let's get personal. Maybe it's the garbage they watch on TV. Maybe it's the people they hang out with. They waste their lives is what it is, by surrounding themselves with garbage rather than focusing their thought life on the things of Jesus Christ. And these people can never have a clear thought life because their minds are polluted. And so they live their lives always conflicted, torn between Jesus Christ and the world, just ripped right down the two, never living up to their full potential as a child of the king. Verse 8 should guide your thought life. Verse 8 should be a challenge to us all. It should guide what you allow into your life and in your home. Print it out. Take verse 8, print it out, and put it up on the corner of your TV. I dare you to do it. See how it changes things. You know, the average American right now is watching four hours of TV a day. 
And in the average home, TV is on for seven hours and 40 minutes. I do not know how people have that kind of time to sit in front of the TV. Like it or not, we are filling our minds with whatever happens to be seen on the TV. Someone once said this, that TV is where we entertain people who would, we'd never allow into our home. People who do things and say things that we would never, ever approve of. By age 18, the average child will have seen 20,000 violent acts on TV, including 16,000 murders. In one year, the average American child will watch 20,000 commercials. And the average teenager will watch almost 14,000 sexual references per year. Per year. What is your mind on, Christians? What is your mind on? What do you meditate on? Because what the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. I'll just speak for my family. In our home, we try to look for shows that build up the family and encourage us to walk with God, not tear down the family and not tear apart everything that God is telling us in his word. Paul tells us to focus on the things that are true, noble, worthy of respect, just meaning conforming to God's standards, pure, lovely, that which promotes peace, admirable, constructive, helpful. If there's any virtue, meaning this, if it will motivate us to draw closer to God, if it has praise, it is worth telling others about. Meditate on these things. Spend your time on these things because we do have a choice. We have a choice to make about our thinking. We do have a choice about what we focus on. Isaiah 26, 3, you've heard me quote it before. It says this, addressing God, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because why? He trusts in you. Paul told the church in verse 9, I came and taught you faith. I taught you the word of God. Then I showed you how to live it out. And Paul gives us the promise here. He says, if you follow what he taught, the God of peace will be with you. God is always with his people. Let's be clear about that. But this is just a way of saying that if we choose to focus on the right things, we would experience the peace that comes when we walk in fellowship with God. Let's put this all into perspective this morning. If you take a global perspective, if you stand back and look at the world today, nearly 3 billion people are living on less than $2 a day. And over 1 billion people are living right now, today, in desperate poverty. Now, I'm not talking about American poor, where every person still has a cell phone, even though they're poor. These people are actually poor. Poor people that are starving in slums, sold into slavery. Some are orphaned because of AIDS. Some are dying from diseases that could have easily been prevented or that could be cured. Some of these people are Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of these people have never even heard of Christ. This is the Kibera slum in Kenya. This is a desperate place. It's massive and it's absolutely a horrible place to live. And recently, a professor from a college down in Georgia described his experience there. Listen to his words. He says, One Sunday I was visiting one of Africa's largest slums, the massive Kibera slum of Kenya. 
The conditions were simply inhumane. People lived in shacks constructed out of cardboard boxes. Foul smells gushed out of open ditches carrying human and animal waste. And I thought to myself, this place is completely God forsaken. And then, to my amazement, right there among the dung, I heard the sound of a familiar hymn. You see, every Sunday, 30 slum dwellers cram into this 10 by 20 sanctuary to worship God. The church is made out of cardboard boxes that have been opened up and stapled to boards. It wasn't pretty, he says, but it was a church made up of some of the poorest people on earth. I was asked to preach a sermon, so I quickly jotted down some notes and was looking forward to teaching this congregation about the sovereignty of God. But before the sermon began, I listened. I listened as some of the poorest people on the planet cried out their hearts to God. And here are some of their prayers. God, please heal my son as he's going blind. Merciful Lord, please protect me when I go home today for my husband always, always beats me. Sovereign King, please provide my children with enough food today as they are hungry. And then listen to his words. He says, as I listened to their heartfelt prayers, I thought about my salary, my life insurance, my health insurance, my two cars, my house, and I realized that I do not trust in God's sovereignty on a daily basis. I realized that when these folks pray, give us this day our daily bread, their minds don't wander like ours does. I realized that these slum dwellers were trusting in God's sovereignty just to get them through the day and that they had a far deeper intimacy with God than I will ever, ever, ever have in my own life. I think our greatest weakness, Christians, is that God has allowed us to be blessed by prosperity. We have too much money and too much stuff. And it has changed us. It has ruined us. It has made us weak. It has changed how we think, always trusting ourselves and filled with pride, always looking out for me, myself, and I. And we do not know how to be content. It's like the person who said, I'm really content until I start looking through Amazon. I liked my car until I saw a new truck. I'm satisfied with my clothes until I walk through the store. I love our home until I think of what it could be like to live in a log cabin on the shore of some remote lake. I'm satisfied with every area of my life until I start comparing it with someone else's life. I feel like I have enough of everything until I see someone who has more. You see, the poor people of the world may have to live in garbage, but we sit as Christians and choose to fill our minds with garbage. And we make that choice. And we sit and we chase after things that are absolutely meaningless. I would say we have shallow faith. And it makes us unstable in how we live. There's a better way for the believer in Christ to live. A life lived in God's peace. A life lived hand in hand with the God of peace. Because the peace of God is one way that we can tell if we are living how God wants us to live. Didn't Paul say this in Colossians 3.15? He said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. 
When Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, it means let his peace govern. Let it rule, guide your heart. His peace is centered on trust. We think of the words of our Savior when he went in the upper room, shortly before he went to the cross. What did he tell the disciples in John 14, 27? He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither what? Let it be afraid. See, peace is not being afraid. There is a peace that comes from the heart of God, and it can be ours as we put our confidence in His wisdom, His love, and His power. It is a peace that comes from depending on God. So find your contentment in Him. Find the joy that comes from resting in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. Joy is a relationship. Joy is a relationship. And one of the best definitions of joy that I've ever read goes like this. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, for the king is in residence there. You see, this concept of joy is centered in God, and it finds its roots in the Old Testament. Two more verses, Psalm 511. But let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. And then Psalm 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in our cars, our house. No, in you I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Find the peace, Christians, that comes from the God of peace, knowing that you can trust him with your greatest fears. To know the peace of God is to rest in God. And then just live your life, Christian, knowing that the Lord is at hand, living with his joy no matter what storms we may face. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.